So thank you so much, Joel and Ryan. Come on, give me a round of applause. Come on, Joel. And give God the glory. Give God the glory for what he's doing. Thanks, Joel. Much appreciated. Who's excited for the word of God? Yeah, be excited, people. A couple of excited people. And the word of the Lord came to City Church MacArthur. <laughs> uh, today we're continuing our value series. I'm speaking on the value show grace, which is really exciting. We've gone through the City Church values. And it's been fun. It's been really, really good. And before we get into it, I'm just going to pray. God, we thank you today for this wonderful congregation, for our brothers and sisters in Christ gathered here today. God, we just pray that you open our hearts today, that you, um, that our heartbeat aligns with yours, that our eyes will see what you see. Um, we'll love those who you love. We'll show compassion where you show compassion. We'll show grace where you show grace. Um, and God, we just believe in the best in people, God. We, we love people because that's what you've commanded us to do. We love our enemies, we love our family, we love our friends, we love our church, and we love the unlovable. Um, and God, we love you most of all, first of all. Uh, and God, we just thank you for this wonderful afternoon. God, we just pray that people's hearts would be open to receive the word of God, and that through your word, you would speak to all of us individually, and you speak with power and with clarity, um, and God, we'd walk out differently to what we walked in. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Just over two years ago, um, on a warm summer evening on the 1st of February 2020, just two years ago, a group of seven children, comprised mainly of siblings and cousins, were walking on their way to buy ice cream at their local IGA um, in a suburb called Oatlands near Parramatta. As they walked carelessly down the suburban footpath, they frolicked and, and enjoyed the warm company of cousins and friendships and of the warm summer's afternoon. As they were walking along this footpath, unbeknown to them, an out-of-control ute comes around the, around the bend behind them at about 133 kilometers per hour, mounting the footpath and colliding into the group of children. The man behind the heavy-duty vehicle wheel, 29 years old, Mr. Samuel Davidson, a drunken and drug user. He had just started a drinking marathon to which he was already 12 hours in coming in over three times the legal driving limit and a drug test confirming both the use of cocaine and MDMA in the preceding hours to this collision. You may have heard the story, three siblings, Anthony, Angelina, Sienna, and their cousin Veronica, all aged between 9 to 13, were struck fatally and promoted to heaven. A drugged and drunkard man who for the, for the sake of a high and his recklessness, struck the heart of a close-knit, precious and devout Catholic family. The families of the four children who were needlessly killed on that day took the extraordinary step of forgiving the man behind the wheel. They took this step because they believed in the power of forgiveness and followed the example of Christ. Layla, the mother of three of the children killed on that day, she says, don't get me wrong. I feel mixed emotions and I'm heartbroken and cry often for my children. Forgiveness, it came very naturally to us because we had been practicing it all of our lives. Before the accident, my husband and I had prayed together that the Lord would bless us with forgiveness for all of our lives. Speaking of how she wanted to live out the Lord's Prayer that they often recite, Layla says, Our Father, 
has forgiven our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Also, Jesus' last words on the cross were, Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. God is comforting us, Layla says. He is close to the weary. If it wasn't for my faith, I wouldn't be standing where I am today. See, this story sent shockwaves through the Australian media, through the newspapers and the Australian community. And on one front, people were encouraged and in complete awe of the kindness and the ability of the family to forgive after experiencing such tragedy. However, much of the general population were also inspired by the family's forgiveness. But then everyone was left with the inevitable question, what would I do in this situation? What if it was my kid who was killed? Does the drunken and drugged driver deserve my forgiveness? Could I easily forgive such a horrific, careless and ignorant act of evil? How much grace is too much grace? Is it right for me to be angry about this? And one of the main questions I have for us today, is it right for good grace to be offered to bad people? The City Church MacArthur value that I'm deep diving into today is show grace. See, as Christians, we're called to show grace, God's unmerited favor, we're called to pass it on. We're called to forgive others graciously, to guard our words, to resolve offense, to authentically honor and defend others. This is the extension of our values. We are called to embrace the diversity of the body of Christ whilst upholding its unity. As New Testament followers of Jesus Christ, we know that the greatest act of grace and love in our life is the Father sending His Son, Jesus, to die as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross of Calvary so that we could all receive forgiveness once and for all. I believe understanding and acknowledging God's grace for us is a critical starting point of us showing grace to other people and throughout history and time and time and time Again, God shows us a magnitude of His grace. His amazing grace is found in the Old Testament as well as all throughout the New Testament. And the fact that God dispenses and He values His grace should motivate us to be people who show grace also. Today, I feel compelled to share and focus our time on a minor prophet from the Old Testament. A minor prophet is not someone who's less important than a major one. It's just a smaller book and they get less content. The, the minor prophet I'm focusing on today and will be focusing on is a man called Jonah, son of Amittai. If you want to go to your Bible and go to the book of Jonah, that's where we spend all of our time today until we get as much as we can out of it. See, Jonah was not your typical prophet. God did not send Jonah to deliver a prophetic message of judgment or prosperity to the people of Israel his own nation, like many of the other prophets were. Rather, Jonah was called to share God's message to a city called Nineveh. Everyone say Nineveh. Nineveh was inhabited by Gentiles and pagans. And this story historians say was, um, that was situated around 785 BC. Historians will say that Nineveh, the city Jonah was called to share the message of God to, was one of the largest cities in the world at the time and was the capital and therefore the heart 
of the dominating Assyrian Empire. See, why this is important is that the Assyrians were infamous for their brutality, their exploitation, and violence. Ancient records bear witness to how fearsome their conquests of other societies were. The Assyrians, they boasted of detestable acts. What they would do was they cut off the body parts of their enemies. They would skin their enemies, um, and they would skin them people alive, and then impale them outside their own city gates to show them how powerful and how mighty the Assyrian um, people were. They also practiced witchcraft and sorcery. In the scriptures, if you want to see um, some comments and some description of who, what the Assyrians are like, you can go to the prophet Nahum, um, and here, there he talks about um, Assyria's wickedness and immorality, and it's all corroborated there. So with the backdrop of Jonah's era and the people he was being sent to, let's jump into the Word of God. I'm going to go from Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, And the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. God says to him, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. I love it. He says, it says, The Lord of the Word came to Jonah. My point number one for today is because of God's grace, because of His grace, God chose you. God chose you and He called you. And how grateful are we that God Himself makes Himself known to us. He reveals Himself to us. That it's by His grace that we even have knowledge of God. It says, The Lord came to Jonah and He gave him an instruction, a mission filled with the kingdom purpose. He had come and graced Jonah with his goodness, his presence, his availability. The, war, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. See, Jonah's mission here was now to declare judgment over the wicked people of Nineveh. We read on in verse 3, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah received, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He was given a mission and purpose. And what does Jonah do? He runs away from the Lord. What a start to this book. What a disobedient and reluctant prophet. The, war, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He went to Tarshish. So he went to the port of Joppa to catch the boat. And if you look at the geography of where those cities are located, Nineveh was to the east of Joppa, and Tarshish, where he was going, was all the way to the west. He was going in the complete opposite direction to where the Lord wanted him to go. And my question for you today, has, you, has God ever told you to do something and you've run the other way? To make it more specific, what was the last thing God told you to do? Did you do it? See, God has given us instruction in many ways and many of us, are, it's easy to remain stagnant or to run in the other direction. Who was the last person God asked you to speak to and you haven't done it yet? Who was the person that when you hear their voice and there's just some, there is annoying people out there and it just annoys you and you get frustrated by even that person's voice, but God has asked you to show grace to that person. Brothers and sisters, we can try to run away from the problems in our life. And maybe you're looking for a new season and a new chapter to get away from that. But perhaps for some people here today, the word of the Lord is that God may be asking you to go back to what He's already asked you to do. 
as humans, we can have the tendency, maybe like Jonah, to abdicate, to run away, to give up our God-given responsibility and run the other way. See, I don't want to downplay it because maybe you've been hurt by someone and instead of reconciling with them, you've run the other way. Maybe you've moved cities, suburbs, cut them off on social media or you've just deleted their phone number. But friends, God has called you to go to Nineveh. God has called you to the obedience of his voice and calling. So a question that you'll hear me ask a couple of times throughout this sermon, is it right for good grace to be offered to bad people? We read that Jonah boarded the ship heading into the opposite direction to Tarshish. He was hiding and running away from the Lord, so he went and slept in the, in the deck below the boat. Hiding from God, God then caused a violent storm um, which awoke his slumber. The pagan and Gentile sailors that were sharing the ship with him, they began to pray to their gods because the storm was so violent. They were crying out for mercy from their gods. So what they decided to do was to cast lots, which is a game of probability, to see who was it. We'll leave it up to the divine to choose who is causing this issue. Why is the trouble and calamity coming upon us? They cast the lots and they identify that Jonah was in fact the issue. Jonah then confesses that he had been running from the Lord, the God of the heavens, who created the sea and the land, mind you. Lest the ship be broken and sunken, they reluctantly throw Jonah overboard. And in a sign of repentance, the pagan sailors vow to serve the Lord of Jonah. That is the grace of God. As he sunk beneath the waves of the Mediterranean Sea, Jonah, he reaches the bottom of the waters to a point where his head is entangled in seaweed. I don't know about you, but this is a very low point of Jonah's life. Jonah is running away from God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's trying to flee from God, a God who sees everything, Tossing and turning and engulfed by the waters of the sea, it was at the depth of the ocean that Jonah cries out to the Lord at his lowest point. See, God sent Jonah to Nineveh, one of the most populous cities in the ancient world. He sent him with a mission and a purpose. He had chosen Jonah for this mission. He had graced him with this opportunity. Yet in fleeing God's command... He finds himself struggling to the point of death at the bottom of a sea. See, Jonah is a prophet called by God, yet he's disobedient, reluctant. He runs in the opposite direction. I don't know about you, but God could have and probably should have left him at the bottom of the sea. What was it about Jonah's character that he deserved to be saved? Friends, if Jonah received what he deserves from running away from God, the creator, he should have been left on that seabed, tangled in the seaweed, his body hidden between the other lost treasures and objects found at the bottom of the ocean. That's where his body should have lied. See, being thrown into the middle of a Mediterranean Sea, as you can imagine, regardless of how good of a swimmer you are, that is talking certain death. Even the pagan sailors cried out to Jonah's God saying, God, 
We want to wipe our hands clean. We don't want to be responsible for this guy's death because we're throwing him overboard. He wants to go overboard. But Jonah disobeyed God and did not deserve God's grace. He deserved to be left at the bottom of the sea. I ask you the question again, is it right for good grace to be offered to bad people? It's a good video, that one. I've watched it. See, but at the bottom of the sea is not where Jonah's earthly journey ends. The Lord, through his sovereignty and his divine instruction, arranges for an animal, a big fish, to swallow Jonah. And it was within this big fish that Jonah was housed for three days and three nights. Some people will say that being stuck in a big fish was Jonah's punishment. But, but church, being swallowed by a, a big fish was not Jonah's punishment. That was God's mighty grace and mercy in action. God orchestrated a rescue vessel. And although it was probably smelly and icky and warm and just clammy and uncomfortable, God spared Jonah from the perils of death. Friends, this is the amazing grace of God in action. Point number two for today, because of his grace, God gives you another chance. Aren't you glad that God, even in our disobedience, even when we suffer the consequences of our own bad decisions, even when we go through hardship and uncomfortable situations where we're brought to our our lowest point, where we feel trapped at the bottom of the sea of life, drowning in the hardship of life and the sickness of our sin. Aren't we grateful that God in His grace and mercy reaches down to the bottom of the sea and gives us another chance? Like when a father disciplines his child, but then picks him up and then pats him down and gives him another chance, so is our father in the same manner. God is a faithful father, a dispenser of grace, a dispenser of second chances. And see, he doesn't just give second chances. He's a God of another chance. He gives third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances and seventh chances. God is a God of chances while we're here on earth. So it was in the belly of the fish that Jonah cries out to God in prayer, thanking him for sparing his life and promising to fulfill his future vows. And unfortunately for Jonah, this was just uh, lip service. So the fish spat him out onto dry land, and then the Lord commands Jonah a second time to go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message God initially gave him. How are we feeling, church? We good? We're following Jonah enters the wicked city of Nineveh and proclaims this simple sermon. It's one of the most simple sermons you will ever hear. He says, 40 more days, he screams out and shouts out to the crowds in this middle of this big city. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. See, Jonah entered the wicked city of Nineveh, the infamous perpetrators of evil, remember. They deserved deserved the judgment that he was pronouncing. God wasn't pronouncing judgment for no reason. These people were deserving of wickedness. They were evil, wicked pagans and Gentiles, enemies of Israel and their differences, many would say, too great for God to forgive. The wrath of God was real and the Ninevites, they were deserving. 
But to the grand frustration of Jonah, the ungodly city of Nineveh believed his message. From the greatest to the least, the fast was then proclaimed across the city. And what they did, they ripped their clothes and they put sackcloth on to announce a season of mourning. The warning reached from the crowds to the king of Nineveh. He took off his royal robes and covered himself in sackcloth. He dressed himself in sackcloth and sat in a heap of ashes and mourned. The king then decreed a fast that no people, nor animals, nor flock were able to eat or drink. And yet every one of them, every creature must repent. It says in Jonah 3 verse 10, God saw that they turned from the evil and did not bring on the destruction he had threatened. See, for Jonah, he was sent by the Lord. He was a reluctant and disobedient prophet. He did not want to go to Nineveh. And up until this point, we don't know exactly why he wanted to do, he didn't want to go, but he didn't want to go. But can you imagine you would pronounce this six-word sermon and then a whole city repents and turns to the Lord? That's a cracker message. That's a revival. That is like Billy Graham 2.0. That is just huge. Forget an arena. This is a city. It's one of the most incredible five-star altar calls you have seen in your life. And God turns, God saw them turn away from the evil and did not bring the destruction. He delayed the destruction that he had threatened. But we see one verse later in, in Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, after they've repented and God has turned away from his judgment on the city, it says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Can you imagine five-star sermon, massive altar call, and the prophet who delivers that message, the evangelist who delivers that message, walks away angry. He ran away from Nineveh because he knew that God would be merciful. How can God be compassionate to the Ninevites who are Gentiles, evildoers, who have caused so much destruction to my people and done so much evil? See, the, the Ninevites, they didn't have any theological groundings. They hadn't attended church for years. They hadn't had a family that had been involved in ministry for generations. They hadn't served on the church choir. They hadn't been worshipping the true one God. They were bad people. They were not noble or good. They had a bad reputation. They committed atrocities to people. They had so, they have done so little good but it had done so much bad. And Jonah thought he was justified. He thought he was justified in bringing judgment upon these people and being angry that the Lord had turned for them. See, God says, God said within 40 days, the city would be overturned. But Jonah did not realize that God would turn over their hearts. I ask you the question again, is it right for good grace to be offered to bad people, because see, Jonah's answer was not a resounding yes. Jonah was angry because God was a compassionate and merciful God. 
He insults God in the next verse and he says, God, I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were filled with unfailing love. And he turns it back to God as an insult. Jonah said, I would rather die than see God be inconsistent with his judgment. What I find phenomenal about this, because it's because of his grace that he chose Jonah. The Lord showed him grace by sending a storm to redirect him back onto his purpose. He showed him grace by directing and orchestrating, coordinating the lots that were cast so he could be identified and caught out and thrown off the boat. He showed him grace by meeting him at the bottom of the sea. He met, by his grace, he sent a large fish in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and swallowed him. He showed him grace by having him spat up on the shore. And he showed him grace time and time again by giving him another chance. See, friends, I think this is the greatest danger and the greatest hypocrisy that me, we must watch out as Christians. Because what I'm afraid when, I'm, when I was preparing this sermon, I'm like, can I see a little bit of Jonah in me? Can you see a little bit of Jonah in you? See, I think one of the greatest hypocrisies that we can have as people of grace, as being the very people that have received the compassion and mercy of God, that we cannot then extend that out to others. We who have received grace freely must also extend it to those around us. My point and last point, number three for today, is because of His grace, we must show grace to others. We must not heed the example of the disobedient prophet Jonah. See, you can be a prophet or prophetess. You can speak in tongues, have the gift of prophecy, memorize scripture, pray 17 times a day. You can attend church every week. You can sing about the grace of God in your life. Have an unbelievable, phenomenal testimony of God working in your life. You can be an avid tither. However, greater than all these things, do you love your neighbor? Do you love your enemy? Do you love the person sitting right next to you? Do you love the unlovable? Do you extend the same grace that God has given you unto the others around you? Because friends, and it, and it can be shocking to come back to this point, but this is what the heart of God is, to be full of compassion and slow to anger. This is why we must remember that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and then 13, he talks about the unity of the body of Christ, how we must be unified and each part being important to each other. And then immediately in the next chapter, in chapter 13, he talks about all these things, saying that love is not dishonoring. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And he says, greater, he says, you can have all the prophecy in the world. You can clang symbols and do all these great things. But if you do not have love, if you do not have love, it returns void. I love this quote from a theologian called John Walton. He says this, a right understanding of our need, our own need for forgiveness and the desire to see others experience the same joy of receiving grace is the greatest sign of Christian maturity. 
I read it again, a right understanding of our own need for forgiveness and the desire to see others experience the same joy of receiving grace is the greatest sign of Christian maturity. And see, and sometimes we as believers can have this same mentality towards others who have not experienced Christ yet. We judge them based on their past, their religion, their race, their crimes, their lifestyle. How can evil, ungodly people ever be offered the grace of God? How can persecutors, murderers, abusers, thieves, evil people be found worthy of a good good God's grace? It's a timely reminder we are not the judge nor the master of this world. It goes beyond our understanding oftentimes, beyond our time that God is so slow to anger and He he leaves judgment as the last thing to, to do. And this is a great reminder for the times we're living in, which are polarizing. In many times, it's purposely polarizing. See, we've been commissioned as messengers in the last days to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Yet in the middle of it, we're torn on our positions and our debates on wars and politics and lifestyle and life choices, what we should wear, eat, listen to, watch, be, take, even the prayers we pray. But how dare we let unforgiveness fester in our hearts for any longer? How can we let division fester in our hearts for any longer? How can we call ourselves a part of the body of Christ and yet slander or shame or mistreat or gossip about other parts of Christ's body? How much longer can division rule our society and the church? And how can we call ourselves followers of Jesus and not be able to extend the same grace to others to which God has shown us. A value of City Church, a value of who we are as believers is to show grace. It is our biblical responsibility, brothers and sisters, to ensure that we're extending grace to other people. It's what marks us as a Christian. Someone who is saturated in the grace and mercy of the Father, they naturally overflow in that and pass it on to other people. It means we forgive graciously, as the City Church values say. We guard our words. We resolve offense. We honor authentically, defending others' characters against slander and abuse. We celebrate the diversity of our church and, and keep the unity in it. As I come to the end of my message today, the story of Jonah ends with Jonah sitting under the shelter on the side of a city. The Lord then provides him just miraculously again, God's hand is in Jonah's story so much. God then provides a leafy plant to provide Jonah some shade. But then the next day, God sends a worm that then chews that exact same plant that was providing him refuge. And he chews it so the plant was taken away. God then also sends a scorching wind And the sun blazed so much on Jonah that he then grew faint. God was teaching him a bit of a lesson here if you haven't um, realized that just yet. Jonah got to a point where he said it would be better to die than to live in this moment. And then God asked him a question because Jonah was angry that this plant was taken away. He was frustrated. God, how could a plant come up and then it die and you leave me in this position? How can you make me uncomfortable and wanting to die? How could you leave me like this? And then God asked Jonah, is it right, 
Jonah, for you to be angry about the plant. And in one of the last verses, if not the last verse of the book, Jonah says, uh, God says to Jonah, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also so many animals? How can you be so concerned about a plant that provides you comfort How can you be so self-seeking that you get angry when a plant gets taken away, a plant that you didn't even put there that I put there, yet you show no mercy or compassion for the 120,000 people and flock and animals that you were casting judgment on in Nineveh? Friends, I asked for one last time, is it right for good grace to be offered to bad people? I think we must submit to the idea that God is slow to anger and compassionate. He's the ultimate judge and gives people the entirety of their lives to be reconciled to Him. And we, we also have to come to a place of humility and say, you know what, I, I just can't fathom the remarkable, outstanding breadth and width and the height of God's love for me and His God's love for people. We will never entirely understand His grace, but what we are called to do is to love the Lord our God and to love other people and to be obedient to what He's called us to do. So I want to leave you with two key thoughts as I finish up. The first one might be for some people. See, it, it, it isn't unusual for people to feel far away from God's love, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel too out of reach for God's kindness and mercy Perhaps you've done things you regret, uh, regret sorry, and you, and you detest the person you've been in the past, the mistakes you've made, the sin you've fallen into, the hurt that you've caused. Maybe you see a little bit of Nineveh in you. But this is a reminder today, friends, that God's love extended out to Nineveh. And He will graciously extend that love out to you. See, the sacrifice that God requires from us is a broken spirit. God will not reject a broken and repentant spirit and heart. So maybe that's you today, and I want you to be reminded that God's deep, divine love is for you. There might be another group of people here that may see a little bit of Jonah in them, and I know I've been there too. What makes you angry when you listen uh, when someone says, who is your enemy? Who, who's that person you think of? Whose name or voice brings back hurt or pain or anger? Maybe it's someone's that's, someone that's disrespected you or hurt you deeply or wounded you in the past. Maybe you feel a sense of injustice because of decisions someone else has made that have affected, affected you. Perhaps you disagree with them and you cast judgment on them for having a different opinion to you or they live in a different way. And you ask the question regularly, how can they be deserving of God's grace? How can someone that's hurt me so much be deserving of any type of forgiveness? But I want to bring a challenge to you today, friends, that you are no more deserving of God's grace than them. Allow the Holy Spirit in the gentleness of the Holy Spirit to work on your heart, the kindness of God to work in your heart so you can freely extend that same grace He has offered you. Friends, God is calling us to the freedom of forgiveness to walk in the wonderful grace that He has showed us in an abundance.
So we can extend that grace out to our families, our communities, those who hurt us, the church, the body of Christ, and the sinful, wicked, evil, detestable world that sometimes we see around us. By the forgiveness found in Jesus' blood, we are covered once and for all. And by His grace, we, we, you are saved. Let's be people who will invite and welcome other people around the throne room of God, around the grace of God, and invite them into the amazing grace of God. Who knows the song, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretched person like me. Let's be worthy ambassadors of the gospel that invites others to be reconciled into this precious, loving relationship with our Father. In about 15 seconds, we're going to roll a song that just came out only a month ago. So it's a timely word in this season called Nineveh by a lady called um, Brooke. Um, we're going to listen to that. It goes for about three or four minutes. I just want you, if you're in your seat, just close your eyes or if you want to stand up, whatever you want to do, just reflect. Reflect on the words of that song and what we've spoken to. Is there a Nineveh or a Jonah in you? And then I'm going to come up and pray to close the service. Thank you, team.